Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Wednesday night. It's our last Wednesday night of the Finsider podcast because starting next week, the show will move to Friday night. But welcome to our Wednesday night podcast. We're ready to talk all things Miami Dolphins, talk the Houston Texans game. Uh, a lot of stuff going on right now, so we'll get uh, right into it. Uh, if you want to give us a call, I will warn you right now, James is not here tonight, so the board may be slow. You can try giving us a call, but I can't guarantee you'll get on the show. The number to call is 347-326-9461. You can, of course, catch us in the live thread over on thefinsider.com, and you can also tweet to us at thefinsider. Duke is with us, and Duke, for some reason we have an echo coming off of you, but how are you tonight? I'm honest here now. Oh, okay. That was better. <laughs> um, so, apparently today... Well, uh, before, before, before we start, I was going to say, since yeah. we are not necessarily going to have the switchboard, if you're not paying attention to it that well, um, if you want to call in or have called in, put a comment on the site so we'll see it. Yeah. We'll, uh, I'll be jumping back and forth between all my different screens, but... Unfortunately, James got called away for something with work, I think, and uh, we just – he can't make it to the show tonight. Um, Black Ops in the so Congo. We'll be, uh, we'll be doing our best, a little short man, but we'll make it happen. And uh, if you want to talk to us, hit us up on the FinSight or hit us up on Twitter or try calling in, and I'll try to get you on the air when I can. Uh, and with that said – Duke, if suddenly you're talking and I'm not answering, I may be in the screening room trying to get people actually onto the air. So just so we all know what's going on tonight. Uh, lots to talk about today. Um, it's the second. Today was the second to last day of practices for training camp. Tomorrow is the last day of practices for training camp. Then the team goes to Houston, or I almost should say comes to Houston since I'm here in Central Texas, uh, to Houston, plays the Texans, and then breaks camp immediately after the game. So we're, we're basically done with training camp. Um, we are getting close to 53-man ro- or 75-man roster cut down day and all kinds of stuff going on there. Obviously, the big news for Dolphins fans today was the team officially named Caleb Sturgis the kicker by releasing Dan Carpenter which everybody knew was going to happen. Uh, I'm pretty sure even Dan Carpenter knew it was going to happen. The funny part is it was almost exactly five years to the day that Jay Feely was released by the Dolphins. 
when uh, Dan Carpenter beat him out for the job. So it's funny that it, I mean, it was, I think it was, I put it in the post today. I think it was August 12th was the day Feely was cut. And August 14th is obviously the day that Carpenter was cut. So almost to the day we have this weird symmetry of a rookie coming in and beating out the incumbent. Um, So Carpenter is now gone. Sturgis has the job. Team has now an open roster spot once again. Uh, They had one earlier today and or earlier this week. I don't remember. So much has happened now that I'm blurring days together. It's bad. Uh, Aaron Corp is back with the team. I think today was his first day back with the team. Yeah. So they had one this morning. They filled it with Aaron Corp, which tells me that Pat Devlin is more messed up than we thought. They want another camp arm in there, somebody to throw the ball during practices so that way Devlin can rest and recover. Uh, I don't think Corp is going to make the roster, but he is there for now. That uh, that filled the roster slot, and then the Dolphins turned around and released DC Money, which then opened up the roster slot again. News also came out today that Nate Garner apparently had some sort of injury to his shoulder on Monday. It sounds like he may have already had surgery on it. I don't know how serious the surgery. I don't know for sure that it was the surgery, but it does sound like something has happened to his shoulder, and he may be out for a good long time. Um We'll see how that goes, how that progresses. But my thought is that was part of the reason why Carpenter got released today. They realized that Sturgis was going to be the guy. They needed the roster spot, and they're probably going to look to get a offensive lineman in here, at least to compete for a depth slot. So that, that's my thinking there. Um, I'll, I'll let you talk for a little bit and – See if you have any thoughts as I just start rambling on about all these different things. But those are the hot topics as Dolphins fans this morning or this afternoon or evening or wherever we are and whatever time it is for you. Uh, But, yeah, so I'm just going. So, Duke, take it away. (laughs) All right. I was commenting, sorry. Um, Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew that Carpenter was gone after – after um, Sturgis was drafted. I mean, it was kind of the writing was on the wall, and it was going to take a an epic meltdown by Sturgis to, to for Carpenter to stay with his, with his contract. So, um, you know, it, it, this is one of these times that you, it's a business move, and we all know that. Um, instead of making, you know, he was a guy that you know, fans kind of liked. He had a, you know, had a nickname and had the, the, decided to give him and all that stuff, and and so it was, uh, you know, we'll get over it. It's a kicker. It's not like we're, you know, cutting nine ten hill or something. So, but yeah. Um, and I mean, he spent five years here. He he did what he was supposed to do for five years. And when he missed those kicks last year, the Dolphins said it's time to bring in somebody to challenge him. And unfortunately for him, his salary was so much more than the rookies and the rookie can go out there and blast 58 yard field goals. I think the more telling stat is he 
kicked off six times during that game against the Jaguars. Four of those were touchbacks. One more of those should have been a touchback, but they ran it out from like eight or nine yards deep in the end zone. They made it to the 15-yard line on that return, and the sixth kickoff was returned to the 20-yard line. So at no point in that game, if Caleb Sturgis kicked off, did the Jaguars start beyond their own 20-yard line. So if you have a kicker that can make that happen, that's a guy you hold on to, especially when he comes in as a fifth-round pick and is as cheap as he is compared to the guy that you are letting go. Yeah, it's um, there. Oh, I was yeah, just getting I'm weird sorry. clicks in my ear. No, it's okay. I just all of a sudden started getting weird clicks, and I didn't know what it did. Um, um, I'm trying yeah. to comment. I'm going to have to go back and delete my comments later because I'm not thinking big <laughs> all the way. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a money issue. That's a big thing. So, you know. Poor Carl. Yeah, he'll, he'll have a job before. He'll have a job he in two weeks. And, I mean, nobody. I mean, he's a, he's a good kicker. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's, he's he's definitely on teams' radar right now. Um, I've already gotten a few emails from guys around SB Nation wanting to know why the Dolphins cut him and if he is still a valuable kicker within the league. And wrote all of them and said basically the same thing. Yeah, he absolutely is a commodity for this league. He just happened to, one, have a salary that was more this year than the rookie's four-year contract was worth. And two, he missed the kicks last year that made a competition necessary, and he didn't outkick the rookie. The rookie is kicking 58-yard field goals. Carpenter is not. So I, I just – he's a very good kicker. He will have a job very shortly. There are several teams that are in need of kickers. There are several teams that could definitely use an upgrade like Carpenter will be. So I, I don't think he will have a problem finding a job somewhere in the league. I think that he'll probably find a job somewhere in the league this year and or this week, I mean, and be ready to go by opening day. Yeah, he'll be fine. I mean, somebody will somebody will lose a kicker somewhere, or they will their kicker will suck, and he'll, you know, uh, I don't know about uh, like the Panthers situation. I know they had some issues a couple of years ago with Mare and some other guys that were trying some stuff. So it wouldn't be surprising if Carolina didn't dump whoever they had and pick Carpenter up. I think Green Bay could be in the mix. I think Tampa Bay could be in the mix. And given that Carpenter's wife is about to have their first baby, Tampa Bay could make a lot of sense so that at least he stays semi-close to Miami and their home here. So that it could make a lot of sense there. I, like I said, there are a lot of teams. Um, I've heard the Jets could be interested. I've heard the Patriots could be interested. Uh, a lot of teams could be looking, and Carpenter still has a leg. He can still kick. So it's not like we just got rid of a scrub who shouldn't have been kicking last year. We got rid of a very talented kicker, but it's because we have a younger and potentially more talented kicker on the roster now. So I, I like Carpenter. I wish him the best. I hope that he finds a new job and is ready to kick in week one. But I think that the Dolphins absolutely made the right move going with Sturgis. 
not not only because of the salary thing, and I do think that was a big part of it, but because Sturgis does have that leg that he has, he is supposed to be very accurate. And he struggled early, but he struggled early with apparently a groin injury, and he was trying to kick through the groin injury. Once the team shut him down, made him sit on the uh, the exercise bikes for a few days, and let his groin injury heal, he came back out there and immediately started bombing kicks again. So I, I think that's what it was early. And once the team realized, okay, he can go into a game and he can kick these kicks, they went, yep, it's done, and now's the right time for Carpenter to go. So it'll be interesting to see in practice today or tomorrow, really, because I think – I think Carpenter kicked today during practice. So tomorrow's practice will be the first one without him. And it will be interesting to see how Brandon Fields and uh, John Denny react to their third musketeer not being there because everybody had pointed it out that the Dolphins, the three special teamers, were such a tight-knit group and Sturgis was always the guy on the outside standing 10 yards away. And they had said that it was not a conscious thing. They had never told the rookie he had to go stand over there. They just said he's a quiet guy, and that's what he likes to do. So maybe that's true. Maybe we start to see Fields and Denny start to wrap their arms around him a little bit more and try to bring him into the fold and into the special teams group. Yeah, they'll they'll accept him. You know, he's. I mean, they. I think they talked about that earlier. They said, you know, they were a tight knit group, and they weren't trying to um, shun him or whatever. And probably just a little rookie haze in there, but you know, first time he boosts a fifty eight yarder and wins the game, they'll like him. I think we lost there for a second. Oh. Yeah, we did. It, it suddenly just cut, and then you were back. So, okay. Um, um, I guess uh, while we wait, and if you guys are listening in live, we have the live thread up on the Finsider. If you want to give us a call, it's 347-326-9461. And we do have the uh, Twitter option, too. Just send us a tweet at the Finsider. I'm monitoring all of them. Like I said, without James here, I might be a little bit delayed, but I'm trying to keep them all open and see what all is going on. Uh, As we wait for those to come on, and around 9.30 tonight, we should get a call from um, the guys over at Battle Red blog, the Houston Texans blog, to come on and talk Texans with us and give us a little bit of an idea of what's going on with them and what we can expect this weekend. So we have a lot of things up in the air, but give us a call, send us a tweet, leave a comment, and we'll talk whatever you guys want to talk. This is your show, so let us know what you guys want to talk about. Um, the other big news today that went crazy on Twitter and had uh, Patriots fans all extremely worried was during practice, Tom Brady dropped back to throw a pass. He threw it and collapsed to the to the field. He started grabbing his left knee, which five years ago in 2008 
was the knee that he blew out the ACL and MCL. And that's never been confirmed, but that's what it's believed to be. He had that surgery on the knee. He missed the entire 2008 season. The Dolphins won the AFC East that year. And he came back, obviously, the next year and has been there ever since. So everybody was up in a panic. It looks now, from what they are saying and what sources have said in the NFL and around the Patriots, that he'll be back out at practice tomorrow, that there's the MRI has come back negative, and everything seems okay. It's probably just a sprained knee, which – if I'm the Patriots, I don't know why Tom Brady would be out there at practice on a spring knee unless it's simply to put him out there in front of the fans and go, see, everything's okay. But I think uh, I think that you're going to see Brady be okay. Could this all be a smokescreen and there's something more serious wrong? Of course, but I don't know what what you get out of making up that it's a sprained knee at this point in the preseason. If it were if it were between week one and week two or between week four and week five or something, maybe I could understand it. You're trying to make the upcoming team assume he's going to be out there, but this is the preseason, so I don't really see any benefit to it, so I have to believe that it's at least 95% true. Um, yeah, and I actually thought about going on Twitter and, and making some silly comment like um, new, uh, breaking news, Joe Philbin has just uh, just forfeited all the preseason games. Um, but I thought, you know, the way people react, somebody might take that seriously. Um, so I didn't, but... Um, yeah, this was a big story, and it's kind of a, a mixed thought process because there's a lot of people like excited, like, hey... You know, oh, the AFC is now up in the air, but at the same time, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if Brady goes down and we win the division, you know, does that mean that we're really on top now? I want to personally, even though it's going to be the tougher road, I'd rather beat those guys, take over the division instead of having it given to me a freak injury. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, that was kind of the 08 season. The old Brady went down. That's probably one of the division thing. I don't want that to happen. I don't want Miami to sneak in like the Broncos did a couple of years ago at 8-8 eight eight, simply because the rest of the division was bad or something because Brady went down. I want to win. I want to win 10 games this year. I want to, you know, if that means we win the division, that's great. But I want to, I want, at least I want to take one from the Patriots. I want to beat those guys with Brady to say, hey, Miami's here. We've arrived. It's our time now. Y'all take a step back. And that doesn't happen unless Brady's on the field. So it makes Miami's job tougher. But at the same time, I mean, what 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 does it gain us if if we win the division this year, only to have Brady come back next year and win it again, you know, if that happens. What does that say? Well that it says we only won the division because Brady wasn't there. I d I don't want that to happen yep. again. Uh to to explain how much of a panic Patriot Nation or the Patriot fan base was in today. They have two stories. The first one is panic button, Tom Brady injured at practice. The second one is Brady okay, likely to practice Thursday. This is on Pat's Pulpit, the SB Nation blog for the Patriots. Good blog, good guys, but just so you guys know, 
their panic button thread has 230 comments in it. Their Brady OK thread has seven. So everybody immediately panicked, and then it was Brady OK, and everybody was like, oh, okay, never mind. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I think that he's going to be okay. I wouldn't be surprised if he's extremely limited the rest of the preseason because there's no reason for him to be out there. I mean, yes, he needs to develop chemistry with his new wide receivers, just like Ryan Tannehill does, but at the same time, it's Tom Brady, and it's not like they're putting in an offense that nobody's ever seen before. It's Tom Brady, it's Bill Belichick, it's the same team that has been there for the last decade. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's extremely limited from here on out. Yeah, he's, 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 through, down, for the, he's down for the preseason. Uh, Oscar says that Sturgis was kicking today. So, okay, so Sturgis kicked today. I thought it was a Carpenter uh, kicking day, but either way, it doesn't matter. Every day is a Sturgis kicking day from now on. Um, it's um, a slow show tonight. We, uh, we, we're we not getting any calls. We're not getting any tweets. We're not getting any comments. Come on, guys. Get us, uh, get us something to talk about. We do this show more of a interactive show than the Finsider TV show, so come interact. That'll be good. Uh, Ohio, Ohio Fin Fan for Life, Griffin, on Twitter asks, can a preseason game be a must-win? And his, he answered it, of course not, but it would be a moral victory of sorts, and he wants it. I think that everybody always wants to win, even in the preseason, even with these games that don't count. We all feel better about the team when they win. Um, that being said, I don't – I can't – I know that at some point somebody's going to use the line that the Dolphins are looking for revenge after last year's week one loss, or if the Dolphins do win it, oh, they they exacted some revenge for last year's bad loss to the Texans or something like that. And I just can't do that. I can't. I, it's a preseason game. Uh, Matt Schaub may be out there for a series. He may be out there for a quarter. We don't know. But I, I just I can't do that with a preseason game. Now, if the Dolphins were playing the Texans in week one, and we went in there and beat them, sure, that's absolutely revenge for last year. Does it change anything about last year? No. Does it really do anything? Not really. But it absolutely would feel better. Um, Ryan Tannehill said that this week. He was asked about wanting to go into Houston and prove that he was better than what he was last year and that he wants revenge and all that kind of stuff. And he said no, that – he wants he wants to have a better game because anytime you have a bad game, you want to have a better game. But he said it's not that big a deal that it's against the Texans because it doesn't really matter. It's still just the preseason. It's more important that we get ourselves right than anything else. Yeah. I, mean, oh, I thought that was going to Duke. 
I don't like having to run the board myself. <laughs> Running the board myself it, is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's. I think what we're looking for is regardless of the outcome of the, the actual final outcome of the game, is that our first team guys look good against their first team guys. You know, as many of our guys play. I mean, we got to look at the, how the offensive line plays against a much better defensive line, um, how Tannehill looks against their defense, how our defense plays against their offense, stuff like that. I mean, if we if we go in there and at the end of the – let's say at the end of the – of whenever the starters come out, the score is, uh, you know, 14-14 or something like that, you know, That'll that'll say something, or, or you know, if we have a bunch of three and outs or something, that says something. I think that's what we're looking for. I don't care what the final score is. Personally, I just want to see our offense play well against their defense. I want to see our offense score a touchdown or two against their defense. Um, I want to see our defense get a turnover against their first team offense. I want to see our defense, um, uh, you know, I want to see our defense stop them from scoring. And I think a lot of people forget in that game last year that, for the most part, our defense handled business for the better part of the first half. Uh, it was just that little, little you know, meltdown there by the offense at the end of the second quarter that put our defense in such a bad position. But they had not yep. done anything up to that point. So um, our offense hadn't either, but, you know, our offense was – we had a rookie quarterback starting his very first game – um, and our offensive weapons were limited. So I think this year, if, you know, say all things remain equal, I think our offense could actually score on their defense. I think we could actually go into the um, into the second string section of the game for the league. Yeah, I think it's possible. I do think that, that that's – this is probably the matchup that I want to see the most this preseason because you're going to see guys like J.J. Watt out there going against this Dolphins offensive line. And you throw in the added turmoil now this week of Nate Garner going down, and now you're back to, okay, who's playing right guard for the Dolphins? But whatever it is, I think that the Buccaneers game is going to be the the dress rehearsal game and we'll game plan it and all that kind of stuff. So that game is big in terms of seeing what this team actually is, although I still don't think we're going to see the offense. I don't think we're going to see all of the blitz packages and all the different looks that the defense has. But I think that game is important in the terms of it's the dress rehearsal game. And then you have the Saints game to end it where – it's, hey, Ryan Tannehill took a snap. Okay, get him out of the game. That that quickly, the starters are out of the game. So this is the game where you're going to be matched up for a quarter maybe against the top defense for the Texans. And you're going to see what this offensive line does. And that's really what the main – the main thing to watch this week is the offensive line. And I was listening to the other Finsider. They're the Finsiders. But uh, 
I was listening to their podcast. It was actually yesterday's show, not today's show. I haven't listened to that one yet. But I was listening to that, and Jesse Agler made a absolutely outstanding point. And unfortunately, I can't remember who it was on the show. It may have been O.J. McDuffie. I can't remember who was on the show with him yesterday. But I was listening to it, and, and they both made the point. When you watch the game tomorrow – Listen for the names you don't hear because we all get so wrapped up in and, – and part of this is the fact that we're used to the names coming out. When Deion Jordan does a great play or Cameron Wake does a great play or Brian Hartline does a great play, you hear their names. Well, now we're all focused on this offensive line and, oh, we all have to pay attention to the offensive line, but we don't hear their names. And that's when they're doing the doing their job right, and that's what we have to realize as fans is if you don't hear Jonathan Martin's name, you don't hear Richie Incognito, Mike Pouncey, uh, Tyson Claybo. If you don't hear their names, they're doing their job right. It's when you do hear their names that we have a problem. So tomorrow or Saturday night, I guess it is. I keep I think I keep thinking I want to say tomorrow night, Saturday night. Do that. Listen for the names you don't hear. When that offensive line leaves the field, if you haven't heard a single one of their names, excuse me, other than intro and maybe talk about the fact that Jonathan Martin has had a bad camp or whatever they're going to say, because uh, Jesse also pointed out that the national media, who doesn't pay attention to things going on in Dolphins land, loves to jump on these stories, and it spins Dolphins fans into oblivion because they the way it's written. So the the national media is going to talk about how Jonathan Martin has had a bad camp. Yet if we actually look at it, he hasn't. We hear all these stats and I, I've said this every show we've had lately. We've we always hear these stats that Jonathan Martin is giving up sack after sack after sack. Have we seen any tweets that Jonathan Martin has given or has stood up, guys? I think we've seen, like, two the entire training camp. So, apparently, in all of training camp, Jonathan Martin has only blocked guys twice. That's what Twitter will do to you. Twitter will make you think that something horrible is happening, even though it's not really. Because sacks are sexy – Jonathan Martin blocking somebody is not sexy. Picking on and, Jonathan Martin every time he gives up a sack is sexy because that's what makes fans react. A fan isn't going to react to Jonathan Martin just stood up Olivier Vernon on this one play. Yeah, and and the, the one thing that I did read um, – about it, I believe it was from uh, Omar Kelly. Was that someone asked about um, someone asked about you know the Vernon Martin matchup, and he said you're not hearing much about it because Martin looks to be improving. So you know it, it could have been just first starting out in camp wasn't you know wasn't as sharp. He was rusty. He was getting beat. Now that he's played in some games. He's kind of got you know seat underneath him, so to speak, and. He's not having, you know, he's, he's playing better. I mean, if you watch these games, he's not playing perfect. And I, I, I don't want, you know, you know, uh, 
Strange has put up some wonderful posts with pictures, and I highly recommend everyone read them. Uh, read his posts about the, the first two games with Jonathan Martin. And you know, you watch these games, and, and, and you you hear some of the fans, and it sounds like Jonathan Martin's playing like you know an All Pro left tackle or something. And he's not. He's still making some bad plays. Uh, but for the most part, he's not yielding pressure. He's not getting beat like a drum like we thought he was going to be. And granted, he's not playing some great players. He's not playing, you know, he didn't play DeMarcus Ware. Jacksonville doesn't really have anybody that scares you. You know, he's not playing um, Von Miller or somebody, you know, whoever. Just pick someone. But, you know, the fact is he, he's he's playing with decent technique. He's staying with balance. He's playing decent in the run game. He's getting the job done. Now, he may go out Saturday and get beat like crazy by J.J. Watt or whoever, and then, you know, be like, oh, well, that's why he looked better is because he was playing against bad people. But right now, so far, in my opinion, he's passed the test for being a left tackle. He's not going to wow you and just, you know, he's not a guy that you can just sit there and be like, sit back and relax, Johnson Martin's taking care of business, but, you know, at this point, he's he, he's less of a concern than the right side of the line, in my opinion. Right. Let's uh, let's go ahead. Brett Coleman from over at uh, Battle Red Blog is coming on right now. So let's go ahead and bring him on. And let's talk some of what we can expect to see from the Texans. So Brett, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thank you for coming on. All Thank right. you for joining us. Um, my first question about the Texans, and we'll talk actual players and stuff in just a second, but y'all just went ahead and had, like, video board envy or something over what the Cowboys had. So y'all had to go and make two boards 30% larger than Dallas's giant board right in the middle of old Texas Stadium, Cowboys Stadium, AT&T, whatever they call it now. So should we just not even try to watch the game actually on the field? Should they just point the cameras at the giant scoreboard and we watch the game through the scoreboard? I'll tell you what, those two boards are so wide in terms of aspect ratio that two-thirds of it's just going to be ads. I'm not even sure why they put it on there. (laughs) Probably just for the ad money. I mean, it's not even really a video screen. It's just a really long sliver that happens to play football on it from time to time. (laughs) I I was just going around I knew I knew they had said that they were going to do that and have the largest boards in the NFL and I think I think the Jaguars are going to try to outdo those boards in the next year or something so yeah they're all so thin though they're just impractical yeah you know it, it, it all really is just a matter of we want to say we have the biggest pretty <laughs> much interesting but okay so, so actually so, on to the Texans what what can we expect to actually see Saturday night? Are we going to see first stringers? Are we going to see J.J. Watt out there? And that that's really, as Dolphins fans, that's who we want to see. We want to see J.J. Watt. We want to see Brian Cushing if he's coming back. We want to see these guys because we want to test the offensive line. Oh, trust me, we want to see J.J. Watt back too. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to put him in because his elbow did get a little bit sore last week. So I, Kubiak is known for being extremely conservative in the preseason. That's why he held out 22 people against the Vikings. And even though we only had technically four defensive starters playing against the Vikings, they still uh, did pretty well against the Vikings' first string. 
That being said, against the Dolphins, they're bringing a lot more toys. Brian Cushing is going to be on the field. Uh, DJ Swearinger and Shiloh Kale will be filling in for Ed Reed, but Daniel Manning will be on the field. Antonio Smith should be on the field. Uh, I'm not sure about Whitney Mercer's. We haven't heard any updates on his hamstring, but he might be on the field. Again, J.J. Watt might be on the field. Earl Mitchell absolutely tore it up against Minnesota, so he'll definitely be there. Brooks Weed will be there. So this And Sharpton will be there, too. So this might be the closest you're going to get to a full starting Texans defense, but it really depends on whether or not Coobs wants to uh, keep him out until the so-called dress rehearsal game in week three. Um, that being said, you should be getting the full force of their offense as well. Andre Johnson is going to be there, DeAndre Hopkins, Owen Daniels, the full offensive line. So there's definitely going to be more people than the Minnesota game. It's just a matter of whether or not they want to bring everybody. And since you brought him up, and I was going to talk him in a minute, DeAndre Hopkins is somebody that a lot of Dolphins fans had their eye on because when the first round was going to happen and we're trying to figure out where the Dolphins are going to go, nobody in their right mind had Deion Jordan on the radar. Nobody thought that they would make that move. If the Dolphins traded up, it was for Lane Johnson. And if they didn't, they would either be looking tight end or receiver. And Hopkins was definitely a name that was floating around out there, and there were people that wanted to take him. So now you guys have him. How has he looked in training camp? I know he looked good in the Vikings game. What are you guys expecting from him, and is he the answer to offset Andre Johnson on the other side? Uh, He definitely is the answer. And before I talk about him, I do want to say about Deion Jordan, when you guys did shock everybody and take him, I didn't understand the pick at first, but it makes sense now that you look at it, and that was a phenomenal pick. So, I, I don't hold any resentment towards the Dolphins front office for passing on tackle <laughs> jerk because he's amazing. Uh, now, about Hopkins, uh, we honestly, as Texans fans, did not expect him to fall to us. Uh, so we were kind of shocked that he even made it there. And all reports out of camp are that he's just absolutely destroyed everybody. Uh, Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jackson, Daniel Manning, everybody he's lined up against, he's destroyed, as a rookie, no less. And these are all pro cornerbacks, so it's, it's not taking it lightly. And then in the Vikings game, he was in there for less than a half, and he got four passes for 52 yards, and it's a very, very impressive touchdown. So all signs point to him being as legit as legit can be, just like your first-round pick uh, seems to be. <laughs> so he will definitely test whoever you have out there uh, at the other, I know Brett Grimes is probably going to be. I don't. I don't know if they're going to keep him on the left side or if they're going to have him follow Andre Johnson. If he's on the left side, then it'll be DeAndre Hopkins versus Brent Grimes, which will be a very, very interesting contest to watch. Which will then put Richard Marshall and Andre Johnson. Which I'm not sure how comfortable you are with that, but I'll take that matchup. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how Hopkins, if he does go up against Grimes, how he handles that caliber of cornerback. Hey, Duke, I want to let you get in here and uh, talk some also on the Texans, but I do think you have a challenge tonight in trying to get App State mentioned somehow. Um, <laughs> I'll find a way. It'll, it'll happen. Um, uh, you're going to have to bring up DeAndre Presley. So, um, well, I, I do want to say I uh, and I, I believe I started the uh, DeAndre Hopkins bandwagon on uh, on the Finsider, um, about midway through the college season, I watched a couple of his games and thought uh, that guy was going to be a player. 
Um, he ran like a four or five or something at the combine, but you can just tell when he plays, he plays at a much faster pace than that. It's actually reading the guy on Twitter today said that um, said that uh, he preferred DeAndre Hopkins over Cordero Pat- Patterson in terms of uh, actually being a, a good wide receiver at this point. So I thought that was a good pick for you guys. And Keith, our uh, another guy from the Insider, we uh, we watched tons of draft video and we kind of expected. Hopkins to be there for the Texans, um, and that was kind of you know that to me was not a shocking pick. I, if you guys had picked someone else, I would have been shocked. So, thought it was a good pick. Um, so that you know what uh, I guess some questions about the Texans is, and I'm sorry I was kind of commenting, so I don't know you may have mentioned this, but about um, who are some young pass rushers on your team besides JJ Watt that you're expecting to step up this season? and kind of take the load off of him. You know, Miami drafted Jordan. You can kind of take the load off Wade. We're trying to bring along Olivier Vernon. So who are some guys that are trying to take the take the pressure off of him being the uh, you know, sole guy to get uh, sacks and stuff? Well, Antonio Smith uh, has been a mainstay for the last few seasons at the other defensive end position. He generally plays almost like an under-tackle um, Kind of like a kind of like Audric does in in pass rushing patches for the Dolphins, where he plays the three tech, and even though he's a defensive end, uh, he he goes up against guards ninety nine percent of the time, and he's done a very very good job at that spot. Whitney Merciless, our first round pick last year, uh, he he got a little mixed up in camp, but he's expected to come on as the premier rush linebacker on this team, who's actually supposed to get more sacks than JJ Watt which, you know, probably won't happen because it's J.J. Watt, but he's supposed to be the double-digit, you know, threat off the edge going against Jonathan Martin kind of player. Uh, and he played very, very limited snaps last season because he was behind Connor Barwin and Brooks Reed, and he still got more sacks than both of them combined with less than a third of the total snaps. And he's very, very talented. Uh, he's athletic. He's as balanced as all get out. He, he's like a weeble wobble. He's very hard to knock down. He's aggressive. He's a great motor. Uh, very, very impressive hands for how young he is in terms of being able to neutralize a tackle punch and all that business. Uh, so if he does play, he'll be a good matchup and kind of a barometer for Martin to see if he can handle somebody who is expected to be one of the you know premier pass rushers in the league. Uh, of course, besides Watt, if he does get matched up there. Uh, on the other side, you have Brooks Reed, who's not so much as a pass rusher. He's more of a, a run stopper who provides pass rush occasionally. Uh, but the main threat, and this is where uh, I wanted to see Lamar Miller for my own personal fantasy purposes, is how he handles Brian Cushing in pass protection. Because Wade Phillips loves, absolutely loves, blitzing inside linebackers. And Brian Cushing is one of the best in the game to do it, if not the best. And so if Lamar Miller can handle Cushing when he's charging up through the A-gap, because we, we usually put five guys on the line, and they're occupying every single offensive lineman. So when a linebacker's coming, either the running back stops them or there's a sack. And there's no in-between. So if Lamar Miller can handle Brian Cushing, Ryan Tannehill might be able to get the ball off. If he can't, and if he can't step up against the better inside blitzing linebackers like Cushing, Patrick Willis, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Tannehill's going to have problems, a lot of problems. So that's going to be one of the main matchups I'm looking at. And well, it sounds like that. Um, it sounds like your defensive coordinator is a lot like our defensive coordinator. Who um, it seemed like I, I watched some of the Jacksonville game. It seemed like that our uh, two of our linebackers lining up on either side of the A gap a lot, and we saw that a lot last year. So 
it sounds like they like to bring a lot of pressure. As for Lamar Miller, I can go ahead and tell you that he will he will give up a pressure to cushion one time, and that will be all. At that point, you will see um, Javorski Lane, Daniel Thomas, and one of our other guys who are better at uh, pass blocking uh, over Miller. I don't think uh, so. You know, they'll let him try once. If he does it one time, if he does it well one time, they'll let him try again. If he gets Tannehill creamed um, one time, then he won't be in there the next time. So that's just kind of the way the field works. So. Yeah, and Tannehill is supposed to be the face of the franchise. So if they let him get murdered, then, you know, it's, it's going to be hell to pay. Yeah, um, especially, with, especially with Brady Gate today. Yeah, the first time, first time somebody looks at Tannehill wrong, he's probably coming out of the game and we're going max protect the – or I would anyway, but um, what one other question I'm going to have is who on, on, on Miami's side of the ball? I mean, you know, most people going to most people going to say that you know Mike Wallace is a, is a dangerous threat, and people worry about him. Who are some guys from Miami on both the offense and defense that you're looking at that you know could could be a a problem for your team to defend or uh, or uh, you know, for us, that we can shut down on defense? Uh, probably the guy, uh, well, to be honest, I could list off about nine guys on your defense that I'm worried about because that whole unit is just so talented. I mean, the front four alone is just unfair. Because Cameron Wake, <laughs> Vernon's coming on. Solia has a great nose tackle. Starch has a great under tackle. Audric is depth, and Audric would start on a lot of teams. And then you got Jordan. I mean, that's just. Uh, come on, guys, come on. And then, you know, Ellerby, who's a great middle linebacker in Baltimore, he, and I, I studied him when I was doing a tape study against uh, Ellerby versus the Redskins, and his patience is just unbelievable. And how he reads holes and everything, he's very, very hard to run on, which is probably a big reason why we ripped off a bunch of yards against the Ravens because he was in the game. He's a great, great linebacker. Wheeler's a great will. Grimes, uh, if he's fully healthy, is a great cornerback. And probably the best player on that whole defense, amazingly, is Rashad Jones, who never gets talked about. But he's an excellent safety against the pass, an excellent safety against the run. And it, it, with the way Houston runs his own blocking scheme, somebody has to be unblocked. And if that's Rashad Jones, I'm not even sure what the point is of running it to that side of the field because he is so, so good at tracking down ball carriers before they can break the edge. So... I don't expect us to score a lot of points against Miami, just like I don't expect Miami to score a lot of points against us. I would not be shocked if by the time the first stringers are out of the game, it's 0-0, because both defenses I expect to be top five. And that's just, you know, that's kind of how it goes with, with, those, with those matchups. If you have two right. mostly healthy top five defenses, nobody's going to score. On offense, uh, I'm probably looking at Lamar Miller the most, even if he doesn't hold up in pass protection. Uh, if Tannehill dumps him off the ball in space, it's going to be problems for this defense because as, as good as Brian Cushing is, as good as Sharpton is when he's healthy, Lamar Miller is fast as hell, and he's quick. And if he's in space, uh, you know, it's it's got C.J. Spiller damage potential. You know, Mike Wallace you can handle with bracketing and with a safety. Dustin Keller, he's, he goes, he's very good over the middle, but, again, you can handle him. Lamar Miller, if you're not absolutely on point when he has the ball in his hands with five yards in front of him, he could wreck you. So those are probably the two guys I'm looking at the most. Well, Brett, I want to um, go ahead and let you go. I know you've uh, got other things to do than talk 
Dolphins and everything, but I do want to say thank you for coming on. I do want to say you guys disappointed me last year. Um, I had you guys pick the Super Bowl, headed to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl, and I had Merciless picked as Defensive Rookie of the Year. So you kind of let me down there. You got you got to make it up to me a little bit. Um, oh, they let everybody well, down. Well, uh, actually, I have one yeah, go question. On, if that's okay. Okay. Um. I've read some stuff from from different sites that suggests that uh, that Matt Schaub may not be the answer at quarterback. <laughs> what are your What are your expectations for him going into this season? What you know, Dolphins fans love to talk quarterbacks because we haven't had one in so long, and the expectations on Tannehill this season are so high. What are your expectations for Schaub? What does he need to do to, in your opinion? convince everyone that he is the franchise guy and if he doesn't do it this year is that a sign that you need to move on uh you know what, what kind, of, kind of how's that going i mean is that just something that somebody made up in the media or is that a legitimate concern in Houston? well there, it's a legitimate concern for half the fan base and this has been a dividing issue in the fan base you know for years about whether or not Matt Schaub is quote unquote good enough to get a Super Bowl. And there's this there's this thought in NFL fans in general, not just Texans fans, that finding not only a franchise quarterback but an elite franchise quarterback is somehow easy to do. And you know, you guys as Dolphins fans know more than anybody that it's impossible <laughs> to really be sure yeah. on somebody. Absolutely one hundred percent sure. Even Ryan Tannehill. As good as he was in his rookie year and as, as high a ceiling as he has, nobody's sure. You know, not everybody can be Drew Brees. And Matt Schaub, even if he's not Drew Brees, if he's not Aaron Rodgers, he's still going to get you 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. He'll have a, a, a good touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's not going to make that many mistakes. And he's good enough at a play-action fake that he's going to hit some big passes to Andre Johnson and win some games. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of teams in the NFL that would be perfectly fine with that. I'm sure a lot of Vikings fans right now are looking at Christian Ponder saying, man, I wish I had Matt Schaub. And I'm sure some Dolphins fans a few years ago would say, man, I wish I had Matt Schaub. Because, you know, even though he's not the best quarterback in the league, he's better than what a lot of teams have. So I'll take that any day of the week. As long as it allows us to afford players like J.J. Watt and Brian Cushing, I'm fine. Give the guy $80 million, but it's not 120 so, you know, whatever. I'm fine with that. Yeah, and, and you know, you bring up a good point there because there is kind of a large gray area when it comes to defining any, any, what an elite quarterback is. And the best definition that I have seen, uh, in my opinion, is that you define an, an elite quarterback as a guy who can win you a Super Bowl. So, I mean, it does – you know, you're talking about, you know, Matt Shaw putting up the stats – and things like that, and that's great. I mean, Miami would love to have a guy. I don't think we've had a guy throw for more than 24 touchdowns since Marino in a single season. So if we had a guy out there for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, we'd be excited. But, I mean, do you, is there a level of expectation with you personally that if he, even if he gets those stats he needs to win in the playoffs, he needs to lead the team farther than what he has, or, or is he just one of those, you know, a good fantasy quarterback, but he's not going to get the job done in the playoffs? I think he can get the job done in the playoffs. You know, he's only played in two playoff games because he's mostly been surrounded by a team that was too terrible to get him to the playoffs in the first place. So, you know, 
he had that rough stretch in the end of last season that I know everybody points to as, you know, the the nail in the coffin of Matt Schaub. But what people need to realize is that that defense was unbelievably wrecked by injuries. Uh, you know, J.J. Watt was playing hurt. Even as great a season as he had, J.J. Watt was playing hurt. Sean Cody was hurt. Earl Mitchell was hurt. Uh, Antonio Smith was dinged up by an ankle going all the way back to his little spat with Incognito. Uh, Ryan Cushing was out for the year. Daryl Sharpton, we were down to our fifth inside linebacker. Like, these guys weren't even on the team a month before we we played them, you know. Jonathan Joseph had two sports hernias and a hamstring. Brooks Reed tore his groin. Uh, Daniel Manning uh, messed up his ankle. You know, that whole defense was absolutely wrecked. And then Derek Newton at right tackle was possibly the worst right tackle in the whole league. And right guard wasn't much better. And, of course, we didn't have DeAndre Hopkins back then either. So, you know, he he didn't have that much to work with because the defense, after it got hurt, couldn't stop a nosebleed. He had nobody to throw to besides Andre Johnson and nobody to block for him on the right side. So I don't, I don't really blame him that much for last season because before the defense got injured and before the right side of the offensive line went to hell, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback that threw for a lot of yards and won a lot of games it, late in the fourth quarter against good teams. So I don't penalize him for not for the defense not doing its job and for not having enough weapons to throw to. Kind of like how people don't penalize Ryan Tannehill in his rookie year for having nobody to throw to at all. I mean, of course, they fixed that this year. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he can win a Super Bowl. He finally has a healthy defense. He has pieces around him on the offense to make it work. So I'm not worried about him whatsoever. Well, I want to say, Brett, again, thank you very much for coming on. I will say one last thing before I do let you go. I went down to Houston last year to watch the week one beatdown that you gave the Dolphins in that last six-minute span of the second quarter, and then they couldn't respond after that. So I was down there. I want to say you guys have an amazing fan base because – Everyone was polite. I mean, we just got thrashed, and everybody was saying, hey, you guys looked good, all that kind of stuff. And I was there with my son. He was seven at the time, first football game he'd ever been to. I splurged, bought first row right behind the Dolphins bench tickets. The guy sitting next to me is a season ticket holder. While we went up so that my son could go to the bathroom, at halftime when we came back, the security guard came over to us and said, hey, find me right after the game, and we'll take you down under the stadium. Because that season ticket holder flagged him down and said, hey, it's this boy's first game. Can he go down and see the team? So we got to go down there and meet the team, uh, get a bunch of autographs, all that kind of stuff. So that was all because your guys' fan base is awesome, I think. So for me personally, I just wanted to say thank you. You guys are awesome. So and we thank you, again too. For and I think that up. largely comes from us being terrible for so long. Hey, thanks very much for coming on Uh, You guys can follow everything uh, Battle Red Blog does over at BattleRedBlog.com And then at BattleRedBlog on uh, Twitter So Brett, thank you very much I know we'll talk again later this week As we do the five question exchange So I look forward to that And we'll uh, probably talk again After the game and see What you guys took out of it And what we took out of it So Good luck this weekend. You guys stay healthy, and hopefully it's a good game. You too. Have a good one. So that was Brett Coleman over with 
Battle Red blog coming on, letting us talk a little bit of the Texans, get an idea of what they're doing, what they're seeing so far this year, and uh, what we should expect this weekend. Um, Duke, I think I think you brought up a good point on Lamar Miller there during that. That's exactly what the issue is going to be with Lamar Miller. If he cannot pass block, he's going to have a problem claiming that starting job. Yes, I know everybody sees him as that dynamic runner, but every time a coach on this team, whether it's been offensive coordinator, uh, head coach, running backs coach, anybody on this team, every time they have been asked about what defines a starting running back, one of the first two things out of their mouth is pass protection. And if Lamar Miller can't do that this weekend, Daniel Thomas is a good pass protector. And this could very much so be his way of saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm good at this. Keep me in here. And a part of that could also mean that he is the third down back, even though Mike Sherman refuses to use the term third down back. But this could be a game where Daniel Thomas steps forward and says, this is my job. Do I think he'll get the starter role? Probably not. I think it's still Lamar Miller's. But it'll be interesting to see what happens if Lamar Miller just cannot pass block against these blitzes that are probably coming, and Daniel Thomas can step up and do it. Yeah, that's one area I see a lot of fans say, oh, Daniel Thomas is out. Daniel Thomas is out. He's gone. But, you know, I would say, well, name a guy that can pass protect. I mean, the only guy on the team besides him that could possibly do it is Gillisley, and we don't know if he's going to, you know, he did it decently in college. We don't know if he's going to hold up at the pro level. We don't know if Miller can do it, and based on what I've, you know, read from from campus, he's still not that great at it. Um, So for all the people that want to hate on Daniel Thomas, he's got a spot on the team simply for the fact that he can, you know, take on a linebacker and hold him up. Uh, and keep him from hitting Tannehill. And, you know, that's just, you know, I, I don't think that's, I think that's kind of, you know, fans want to focus on the actual offensive part of the game, guys catching passes or guys running with the ball. They, you know, they watch kind of, you know, what's going on there, and they don't realize that, you know, if Lamar Miller can't hold off Brian Cushing and Brian Cushing gets a free hit on Tannehill, uh, you know, number one, that stops our offense. Number two, if you get Tannehill hurt. So, um you know, there's all kinds of things there that, yeah, maybe Daniel Thomas is not the most exciting or electric player. But if he can go in there and block a guy like that from coming in and then Tannehill can load up and throw the ball deep to Wallace for a touchdown, you know, is, is that worth – is Daniel Thomas's contribution worth that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're right on with um, – the way the fan base is looking at Daniel Thomas, a lot of people, and it's funny because a lot of people are, a lot of people can see Javorski Lane being released because he doesn't do anything but pass block. But somebody has to be back there to pass block because this offensive line, even if they play well throughout the season, when the blitz comes, somebody has to protect Tannehill. And we saw it on Twitter a few days ago. I don't remember what day it was. But Omar Kelly said that Daniel Thomas just stepped up in a pass block and hit, I want to say it was Koamisi, so hard that helmets went flying. 
That's what Daniel Thomas is going to bring you. If Daniel Thomas can stay healthy and doesn't fumble, the guy runs hard. And, sure, we've all been frustrated because he likes to try to dance too. But when he hits that hole, he will hit it with power. Now, I think part of the reason that we're all frustrated with him is he doesn't hit it with the power we think he should. And I think a lot of that comes from his concussions. He knows that that's where he gets hurt. And he's gotten more comfortable with the new helmet now. And I think you're starting to see him get that power back. Um, and that, that's part of why he's pass blocking so well, too, because he's not afraid to hit somebody. And all these people that think Daniel Thomas is on his way out, I I still have him listed as the number two running back on this team. I don't think anything Jonas Gray or Mike Gillisley can do is going to change that. I think Daniel Thomas is the number two running back on this team. What Mike Gillisley is going to have to do to take the spot away from Thomas is he's going to have to be the guy to go in there and block pushing. Um, that, that's just how it's going to have to be. Uh, and these guys are going, and, and those guys are going to um, contribute on special teams as well. But I think the um, I, I think the uh, the thing with with him is that it was something I read today. I don't know uh, who it was, but they said that um, Philbin has been very pleased with uh, Daniel Thomas's maturity. You know, we all remember the hard knocks, uh, you know, yep. uh, scene where where uh, Philbin said he's a little queasy about Daniel Thomas. He had been, and then he had been late. He had been late to a, the plane, and he had done something else, broken curfew or something. He, he, his dress code was off or something. He didn't. That's what it was. Yeah, I think something didn't dress code. So, you know, I think, I think he said he's approaching his game as a professional now, and you know, that doesn't that doesn't excuse necessarily. Like for example, uh, in the in, in the game the other night, Jonathan Martin. And uh, Richie Incarnate opened up a good hole for him to run to the left. And he's not necessarily a good outside runner because he doesn't have great speed for that. He doesn't have elite speed. But if he had kept it outside, he probably could have gained 10 yards. But he decided to cut back in and got like zero yards. So there's stuff like that. But I think I think for the most part, is he's looking at this now as I'm, you know, I, you know, he wants to go out and win the starting job, and I think he's trying to win over not just the coaches, but win over fans, win over people, you know, win over doubters against him. And, you know, I think that he's got a role on this team, and I think he's, he's, he's playing better. I mean, we watched, we watched, you know, uh, in the Jacksonville game, he did come in there on that final drive and got two big runs. I think on the very last run that he got, he, um, he, uh, he got hit and drug a couple of guys, dragged a couple of guys, um, like a couple of yards with him before he went down. Um, and that, there's always a plus for that. And when we play, we play Tampa Bay twice this year. So when we see them, you know, Daryl Revis is going to be, you know, not happy to see him running at him. So <laughs> there's at least that value there. I do find it funny that they're talking about how Revis may come back for the August 24th game, and I know they've backed off a little bit over the last couple of days, but that he may be back for that August 24th game, which would be almost 11 months the day that on the same field they will be playing, the same team he was playing, he'd be back out there trying to prove that his ACL is ready to go against the Dolphins. So, yeah, that's an interesting uh, – 
choice by the, the by the Bucks if they do that. But you know, and so I mean, if you're expecting Daniel, if people are expecting Daniel Thomas to be, you know, the next Arian Foster or something. That's not probably not going to happen. But if he's if he's um, you know, if he goes in, and you know, we've got Lamar Miller to be our, our main guy. I think you drafted Lamar Miller to be the main guy, and I think he's he's going to be the guy. Um, how how many touches he gets depends on um. On number one, it's pass protection. How healthy he stays. If he can, if he can start playing well, pass protection, he's going to take away snaps from everybody. But um, I think he's got a good combination there. And remember, you don't have to have elite backs anymore. I mean, it's nice to have the guy if you do. But if you've got a two-man committee back there that can, can you know, do different things and and, and play well the running back position, I think you're in good shape. And I think we are. I think Gillisley adds a, a third guy in there just for competition. And, um, you know, so I, I think it'll work. Uh, uh, Oscar Hazel had a great point on the live thread. He points out, if you can't run or you can't run the ball if it's telegraphed by only having Miller in run plays and a blocking running back when you need uh, pass protection. And it's a great point. And it's something that Mike Sherman has talked about, too. Your your running back has to be able to pass protect because otherwise it's exactly that. If you are telegraphing exactly what you're going to do because you swapped out running backs, you you, you definitely have a problem. So it, it's an absolutely dead on point. Lamar Miller. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying Lamar yeah. Miller can't pass block. He just has to prove that he can do it. Yeah, and that works kind of both ways, too, because, you know, if people see Thomas come in, they're like, oh, this could be a pass play. He's got to be able to run the ball effectively as well. So if a guy like Thomas can come in there and run the ball effectively, then you can, you know, you can, you kind of can pull the defense. if You, you know, and that's something we had to deal a lot with last year and then the year before because Reggie Bush was not a, a pass-protecting guy. You would leave him in there on some passing downs, but he, he that was not his forte. So, you know, you can mix and match and use it different ways, um, but Lamar Miller has to be able to at least show some positive growth in that in, in that area in order for teams to take it seriously. So he's absolutely right with that comment. Um, and I want to go on. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I was going to um, – I'm stopping. Okay. I was just going to say real quick that Fran Charles, who used to cover the NFL for NFL Network and did some NBC stuff, and now he's on, I think he's on MLB Network or something, Um, he just tweeted out, from here on out, RG3 in a surgically repaired knee has a better chance of getting hit in preseason practice than Tom Brady. (laughs) Yes. That could not be more true. (laughs) There's nobody allowed. His his not, offensive not only line is not going to be allowed to be near him. <laughs> not only is Brady's preseason done, uh, Peyton Manning's preseason just ended today. So yeah, possibly. Uh, and it would not be one. I think Omar said that, and I think some of the other folks on the side have said that they think that um, that Jerry would look better as like a right tackle. But yep. he, he he doesn't necessarily have the the great athleticism you want from a zone-blocking guard, a guy that can pull, but in terms of pass protection, it's like somebody read on Twitter said, he's a house. You're not moving that guy. There's no way St. Derek Marks just moves him out of the way like he did Josh Samuda. That's not happening just because he's a great 
from actually human being that just doesn't move that fast. So, um, you know, I think what you lose with Jerry in the run game, you gain in pass protection. The other thing that I've noticed from, from watching him in the past is that he is a lot better on passing off on the stump. I think we talked about it on the show last night about how uh, Claybo looks bad on that one play, but it's only because he missed the pass off or Samuda missed the pass off and he couldn't get back to get the defensive tackle. Jerry handles that right. very well. So if they try that in a game, uh, you know, he's going to, he, he knows his, his assignments and that's going to help. And that's one thing I really want to see. If we can get Tannehill some protection, I want to see him light it up. I think he can. And, you know, reports from camp today was that he looked really good. He, he, uh, as I'm looking he killed a couple of times. Um, not Hernandez style, by the way. And, um, <laughs> he he uh, uh, he he, he sure made some big plays to Wallace. Um, yeah, I don't have my sound effects on the phone. Sorry. Um, he uh, he had uh, some big plays to Wallace today in practice. So, you know, I think I think once the protection gets there for him, he's gonna he's gonna show that uh, what he can do, and I'm looking forward to that. And I think Jerry will solidify that right guard position at this time. Now, I also believe, you know, it's just a couple a couple preseason games, so we can't take a whole lot from it, but I would not be surprised if at least two of our first four draft picks in 2014 are offensive linemen, and probably two out of the first three. I think we're yeah, it wouldn't surprise get, me. I think we're going for I another tackle and another guard. What on defense do we need to pick? Not a whole lot. We went really young, and we shored up everything. I mean, depending on how Jamar Taylor comes back from sports hernia surgery and if he can get into it, you could look at a mid-round cornerback somewhere in there. But really, the defense is fairly set for at least another year. So you're looking at offense. You have Gibson, Hartline, and uh, Wallace locked in four years. So, really, you're looking at tight end and the offensive line. I mean, that that's where the picks need to go. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think offensive line will become a a major draft target next year. And, and honestly, I believe we could go line with all three picks, um, depending on the, the contract situation with Starks and so would I. So, yep. you, can, you can bet. You know, it's, I think, pretty much cemented now that Audric is going to be a defensive tackle, which he should be. He's he's in there, a defensive tackle. He's going to be our starter. They're probably going to re-sign him, and that would be a good move, in my opinion. I think he's going to be a, a very good defensive tackle. Um, I, I thought he was the third-best defensive tackle in that draft, and I don't think the drop-off from from uh, McCoy to Audric in terms of uh, their pass-rushing ability from that position was that much, was that, you know, that stark, I think that uh, you know maybe in run defense there was a little bit of, of a noticeable difference. But I thought he was a good defensive tackle in the draft. I think he was misused last year as a defensive end. I thought he fit well the thirty-four end, but now I believe he's going to be a really dynamic player from that inside position. Based on what I saw from the other night against Jacksonville, and granted they didn't have all their running backs, but they didn't run the ball very well against our first team. So that was a good. That was a good. So, but I really could see us going offenses line and defensive line with the first three or four picks. Um just because those will be 
weaker positions because of uh, free agency and, and so on like that. So, um, and that's you know that's to look at down the road. For all we know, that this team might be the greatest team ever assembled. Uh, you know, we can't can't know what's going to happen in the regular season. But those are just some ideas. But um, yeah, I think I think back to the original question that Beaver had. I believe Jerry is going to be the starter uh, unless Lewis can can go in and just absolutely impress position. I believe right now John Jerry is you can just pencil him in at right guard as soon as he's healthy just because he is just simply better than Garner and better than um than Samuda at the right guard position. Yep. I think you're right. I it'll be interesting to see how Lewis plays, but yeah, I think it's John Jerry's to lose at this point. Uh which is a shame because I really want Jerry to be a left tackle. I want him to be the backup to – and he still can be, obviously, playing guard, but I want him to be the backup to Jonathan Martin because I think he's probably the best backup left tackle we could have. And he did well at left tackle when he had to start there in nine, eleven, somewhere around there. Yeah, 11. okay. So he did, he he got, did he well there. Against, yeah, he got the start against the Bills. He played three games left tackle. So I looked this up the other day um, – in the Philadelphia game, they put Nate Garner at left tackle, and he gave up three sacks. Um, to be fair, we also had uh, Mark Colombo on the other side. That was just a recipe for disaster. I think we gave up like, what twelve sacks that game, or some ridiculous number. It was, I don't remember it. It was, it was bad. Uh, then they put John Jerry over there, and he didn't do bad. Um, you know, he's a break in case of emergency, break glass in case of emergency kind of guy. You want left tackle, but. I would feel a lot more comfortable with him over there than I would Dallas Thomas or any of the other backups we have. Unless Will Yeatman can just go out and prove that, hey, he's developed enough that he can do it, and then, you know, I'd be fine with that too. But, uh, yeah, right now John Jerry is the best backup left tackle. And I think, you know, obviously left tackle is a much more valuable position than right guard. So, you know, if, if John Jerry has to play left tackle, I think we can get – Nate Garner, whoever in the right guard, and, and survive. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of what where else to go with the show tonight. I think uh, Brett coming on did a great job of talking the uh, the Texans. I like obviously I like what he said a lot about the Dolphins defense. He, it, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going through the live thread right now, and it seems like uh, Oscar asked how many linebackers the end makes the 53-man roster. Uh, right now I see probably four defensive ends making the roster because I put Shelby onto it also. And I think it's going to be six linebackers. I'm having trouble. I'm actually trying to build my 53-man roster projection again right now also. And I'm having well, a problem I, with my numbers, so I may end up having to go five linebackers, which I really don't want to do because that seems way too low. Yeah, I think six linebackers, I think you're going to have starters and backups um, yep. at every position. And the, determining who those backups are going to be is tough. I mean, you've got special teams guys like Stiller and Trusnick who are who – are, um, you know, veterans that, that have kind of shown what they're going to give you. They're not great options. You've got a rookie in Jelani Jenkins who's 
probably going to make the roster simply because he's a fifth-round draft pick, uh, if nothing else. You've got Lee Robinson, who's made some plays in camp, um, practice well. And then you've got a few of those other guys that are trying to hang on there. I believe, really, I think Jenkins and Trusnick at this point are safe. Uh, Well, I take that back. I think, and you've got Jonathan Freeney, who's played well. And in my opinion, just from what I've seen from the preseason games, he's been the best outside linebacker for backups. So I think they keep, I think it's up between him and Trusnick, Jenkins, and then Robinson and Spiller. I don't think, I've not seen Kadu do anything. I've not seen, um, you know, I've not seen any of those other, other guys do much. And, it all comes down on that point to special teams. And I believe Spittler's gone this year, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to keep him around. I think I think Lee Robinson could take his spot. Um, I actually think Jelani Jenkins could probably play uh, middle linebacker if needed to. So I just think I think Spittler, this is the year he's out. I just don't think he fits the, the scheme anymore that they like. I think he's a little – I think he's better fit as a 3-4 inside guy. Um and he'll go to a team. He'll he'll get work somewhere because he's he's a quality backup and he can he can play on a team. So, which uh, right it's, now it's funny pick, because everything you're saying about Spiller is pretty much how I feel about Trusnick this year. I just I don't know what it is. I I cannot point to anything, but I just I don't think Trusnick is around this year, and I don't know why I think that. Well, I kind of you know I would I would I don't have a problem with that. Either, I mean, I mean, you see these guys coming in, and it may be possible that Stittler, Freeney, and Trusnick are the guys that make the team. But yep. from what I have seen, I believe that of those three backup guys, I believe Freeney is the guy that stays. I've seen him make the most plays in right. games. I don't know about how camp's gone, but he's a good quality special teams guy. Jelani Jenkins, from what I read, is a first-teamer on special teams, so that helps him out. And he's got draft status, and I believe he's a guy that you can develop. I believe he'll be a good player in the future. And then it comes down to, you know, Trudnick, Spittler, and Robinson for that backup inside linebacker spot. And remember that, you know, these guys can also play. Uh, if if something happens to LRB, we could always move Wheeler or uh, Misi to middle linebacker and let one of these guys play outside linebacker. So. Right. I think in that regard, I think Trusnick has a little bit of an edge over Spittler because I don't think Spittler can play outside linebacker. Um, so, good point. Or at least not well. So that that's the point. But at the same time, I could see both Trusnick and Spittler getting cut. So, I, you know, it's just, you know, we're kind it, of just – It's tough this year. Last year, yeah. it was it was almost exactly the opposite of this year. Last year, it was hard to look at the roster at times and go, these are the 53 people that should be on it. This year, it's hard to look at it and go, these are the, we'll say, 10 guys at the end that need to be cut. Because I'm sitting here right now, and I've got it down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I have nine defensive linemen right now because I have yeah, four I defensive ends, and I have, I have five defensive tackles. And I agree with that. I've, I've got to cut somebody, and five defensive tackles makes you want to cut somebody from there. But with the level of talent, I don't want to cut any of those guys. So it's just like 
so, some of these positions are so deep, it's hard to justify keeping somebody based on the numbers, but it's hard to say you want to cut this guy too. Yeah, and that's always a good problem to have, to say, hey, you know, we've yep. got to cut somebody, and you're going to cut a guy that, that's not a, you know, like you said, in years past you cut a guy and you're like, oh, yeah, who cares? But now you've got guys like, well, I don't know. I mean, this guy does have a role on the team, and he plays that role well. Now, like I said, you're talking about cutting guys like Trezenick and Spittler. You're not talking about world leaders. But, you know, at the same time, you're talking about guys that they're not going to go out there and, and, and they're going to get signed in week 12 off the street because they're not finding work. I mean, these are guys that will make a roster somewhere because that because they have the talent to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, making sure you pick the right guy. And it's especially, you know, the defense is where it's the roughest, like you said, because there's just so much, there's just so much, so many players out there that have flashed and have shown some things in, in the games and from what we read in camp. Like, you know, the def- defensive end, you've got those two guys that we can't pronounce their last names. Um, uh, made some Tristan, hold on, Tristan Opalaugo. Opa, op- that guy. The K, the K is silent. It's Opa La Ugo. Yeah, yeah, him. Um, <laughs> I, I, I purposely went out to try to figure out how to say his name. Opa La Ugo. We will, we will call him Tristan. Um, or Theo, <laughs> if you will. Um, you've got guys like him. Um, you've got guys like Shelby. You know, and you've got you've seen some, some, some depth on the roster. And, and so that's always good. In the secondary, I think it's even worse. Um you know, it's like you look at these, you know, your question, can we carry 10 defensive backs? I mean, you look at the, you know, a lot of people say, well, I want Carroll cut. Because, you know, but he's a quality backup. He got the interception the other night. He's a he's a gunner on special teams. Yep. You're not, you know, if, if he's starting, that means you've lost a lot of players to injury. But you've got the two rookies in there, and you know they're not getting cut. They're simply on draft position. So, you know, you've got Patterson, Marshall, Grimes, Carroll, Davis, and uh, Taylor, you can't carry anymore. I mean, you just can't. You can't do it. Yeah. You'd have to do it at the expense of other positions. So then you've got guys like, well, um, what about, you know, DeAndre Presley, Pat State? Um, <laughs> you know, they've, got, they've got him listed as a second second string kick returner. So what happens if he they want him to have that second string kick returner position? Well, can you carry seven defensive backs? Who gets cut in his position? Can he can he move somebody like Carroll off the roster because of his um, special teams play? There's so much different now. The safeties positions I don't think is quite as deep. You've got your starters. I think you know your backups are going to be pretty easy. Yep. Um, but you know with cornerbacks, there's just so much so much uh, kind of depth there. Um, you know who are you going to take? And, and offense is kind of opposite. I mean you've got offensive linemen, you're like. Wow, we have to keep one of these guys. Um, and, and there's the wide receiver position. I mean, you can just—I mean, really—you can just throw all the names of the wide receivers, the the fringe guys, in a hat and just pick one out because that's how it works. I mean, I think at this point, Matthews has an edge simply because he was with the team last year and he's a veteran. I mean, he's he's shown enough in, in the past that they're like, you know, we know what this guy brings to the table. We don't know. Well, these other guys, I mean, McNutt kind of flashed there for a while, but he's been inconsistent catching the ball. Bumpus has shown some, but he's been playing mostly against backups. 
you know, can he do that against starters? Everybody else, I mean, times he's got some, he's got some, some, um, he's got some work with the first team, but he's never, he's not really been consistent. So you've got all these guys. Uh, Omar seems to believe we want to pick a waiver wire guy up, and like a Devery Henderson was cut today. I mean, they could easily pick him up and be the fourth receiver, and then, you know, what happens there? Who you carry six receivers? That means you have to lose a, you have to lose a running back somewhere, or a fullback, or a tight end. So. It's nice to have this depth. I don't, you know, I don't want to be the guy to have to make the cuts. That's for sure. But, um, you know, it's nice to kind of have this depth where you can say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going out into into this this portion of camp where I have to cut people and say, yeah, I know who I'm cutting. I've got my starters, and then everybody else, you know, it's just kind of throw a dart on the board and just pick somebody. No, it's kind of we can take our pick who we want to fix, fix or however many try to keep whatever position players. This and then everybody else, you know, they're still good players. We can actually choose who we want and feel good about it. I think uh, I think Oscar may have just made the comment of the night for the show. Says uh, he's talking about Tristan Opalahugo. Opa Opalahugo. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Now, now I'm second guessing myself on pronouncing his name. I do know that the K is silent for no apparent reason. That A in his. But, um, he says, "I hope no one can spell his name when hits waivers, so we can stick him on the practice squad." <laughs> I think that's a great, great thing. <laughs> we can't, we can't claim this guy because we don't know how to spell his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause you, you, I mean, you wouldn't want to call the guy and say, uh, Tristan, normal, would you like to come join our team? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you, come here. I don't know how to say your name, but just come here. You're on our team now. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Well, it looks like we've cleaned out the live thread. I haven't gotten anything on Twitter lately, so... I will go ahead and say, Duke, what else you got on your mind as we get ready to close down the show? Um, not a whole lot. I think we covered most of the Dolphin stuff. And uh, um, at least uh, Jeff Hilton finally won his first preseason game. I was glad to see that. Got that, yep. uh, got that check mark uh, taken care of. So uh, let's hope we can get another one this week. Yep. I think uh, I think we have a chance. Um It'll be interesting. Like I said, the, the main thing I want to see is the offensive line taking on Houston's defensive line. So I think I think it'll be a good matchup. I think we'll see how it goes, and I think we'll see a lot of a lot of our fears will probably be toned down because I think this offensive line is better than we realize. I think John Jerry, if he's able, I don't think he's going to play this weekend. But once he's able to come in, he'll probably solidify that. I think Jonathan Martin definitely plays better with Richie Incognito next to him. So I think that chemistry is starting to be built. The left side seems to be getting it. It's just a matter of Claybo getting a guard next to him and that guy staying there. So I think that's where we are at this point. Um, yeah, and if uh, if you if – you, uh... If you go back and watch some of that Jacksonville game, uh, you know, watch Mike Pouncey uh, when he's in the game. There's a couple of times that he just absolutely 
for lack of a better word, just owns the defender he's taking on. I mean, I saw one. I don't know who the defensive tackle is. But it, it looked like one of those scenes from the Bugs Bunny cartoon where, you know, they, they hold their hand on the guy's forehead. He's trying to swipe and hit the guy and he just keeps missing. <laughs> That's what it looked like with the defensive tackle. He had him under his shoulder pad, and the defensive tackle was kind of waving his arms trying to get by. He was just stuck. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, at times like that, you appreciate the kind of talent that, that Pouncey has. But um, to to be able to do that, he, he wasn't getting help. He was, it wasn't a double team. He just took the guy one-on-one and stood him up like a kid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the guy could have just sat down and twiddled his thumbs until the play was over because that's all he would that, He would accomplish more doing that than he would have trying to get past Pouncey. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible to watch. I, I just saw it and actually stopped and watched it two or three times. I was like, did I just see that? It, it was amazing. So if you get a chance, you know, and I know Omar Harp's on, you know, take your eye off the ball. But I, I, want, to, I want to tweet him and say, you need to advocate everyone to get DVR to watch the game, simply because I like to watch the action going on too, you know, the passes and all that stuff too. But I go back and watch the offensive line and defensive line on DVR because that's fun to watch too. It's just harder to watch that when that game's going on live. So... If you've yep. got a chance to DVR the games, or if you get the NFL uh, preseason package uh, that they offer, I recommend going back and just watching some of those plays to watch what those guys do. They are It's extremely interesting to watch the offensive line operate and how they do it uh, and, and some of the ways they do things. I mean, it's, it's always fun, especially with Incognito when he has when – he, when he doesn't have his own personal assignment, he just has to double team. Because what he'll do is he'll hit this guy over here, and he did this against Jacksonville. He hit this guy over here. He's, he's double-teaming someone with, with Pouncey. And then he looked over and I'm like, oh, there's Johnson Martin. I think I'll go over there. And just ran over and drilled the defensive guy. Just like, hey, <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting handled by Johnson Martin, but now you've got to deal with me, buddy. Boom, just nailed him. It was, it's just fun to watch. So, yeah, I recommend if you get the chance, watch the offensive line, uh, especially, guys, especially the, the better guys, uh, because they are very entertaining. Well, yeah, I, I think I think that the getting the uh, preseason now preseason live preseason live I think that's what it's called mm-hmm. packet from NFL. It's twenty dollars if you can do it. I definitely recommend it because it does let you go back and watch some of the other teams too, and mm-hmm. at least be their starters and see what they're doing. Like I didn't realize it when I. I was half watching the start of the Broncos game this past week, and I didn't realize it until somebody tweeted it out that it's either the second or third play of the Broncos' possession with Peyton Manning out there. Peyton Manning is lined up in the pistol formation. And it just made me go, wait, what? And have to go back and find that play and go, oh, he is. That's the pistol. Peyton Manning doesn't run the pistol. So it's interesting to see some of those things. And then, of course, it does let you go back and do exactly what you said. You can watch the Dolphins game again and look at specific players, watch them. You can you can skip to each play. You can skip to each Dolphins possession and things like that. So I recommend it if you can do it because it will let you see – the Dolphins a little bit better. 
Yeah, uh, and I didn't get it last year, and it was, it was you know, you have to wait until it shows up on NFL Network, and which I like that too because I actually get to watch it on TV. But I do recommend the computer stuff. It is, and you know, being that I'm here in North Carolina, we I don't get the the, the local feed preseason games, so it's the only way I can watch the Dolphins play. So I, it's, you know, you're out in Texas. Uh, I'll get the Houston is, game this week. Um, yeah, LCFS is out in uh, – yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> LCFS out on the West Coast. I'm sure he's not getting the Dolphins. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But uh, like I said at the start of the show, we're going to move the podcast from Wednesday night in its traditional spot to Friday night. And if you guys were with us last year, you'll remember we did Wednesday night podcast, Friday night Insider TV. I think what we're going to end up doing is we're going to flip-flop those and we're going to put Insider TV. We did it on Tuesday night this week. Uh, throughout the rest of this week and this weekend, we're going to try to – I'm going to talk to Duke, I'm going to talk to Keith, and we're going to figure out exactly when we can sit Insider TV in because we all do have other things going on. So – Finsider TV may shift over to Wednesday night. It may stay on Tuesday night. We'll, we'll figure that out this week, and I will let you all know. But starting next week, the podcast will move to Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So same time slot. We're just moving it back two days. So it will be on Friday night. Uh, the idea there is that we're putting a little bit of space between the shows so that way we're not talking about the same stuff over and over, and it's something for you guys so that way you can – get a little more out of it. It also lets us have a show that is predominantly about reviewing the past game and a show that is predominantly about previewing the upcoming game. So that's the intent there to kind of separate the two shows so that you all know what we're doing and why we're doing it. The podcast, like I said, starting next week is Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be right back here on Blog Talk Radio We'll, of course, have the live thread up on the Finsider. You can always tweet us throughout the week, uh, anytime, at the Finsider. Uh, I, I try to check it as often as I can, so hit us up there um, today, and I, I will try to do it every Wednesday throughout the year. I don't know for sure that I'll be able to do it, but that's my goal. I do, a around noon, a question and answer session on the Finsider's Facebook page, I did about an hour, hour and a half with it today. Got a bunch of great questions, and it's just another chance to talk Dolphins. If you're sitting at work and you want to waste corporate time, that's a way to do it. I try to do that on Wednesdays, like I said. So there's lots of ways to talk Dolphins. We're trying to get it out there so that you guys have as much Dolphins talk as you guys want. If you guys have any ideas, let us know. We'll be happy to try to incorporate them. Uh, We will be back either Tuesday or Wednesday with our next Finsider TV and next Friday with the next Finsider podcast. So thanks for joining the show tonight, everybody. A big thank you to Brett Coleman for coming on from Battle Red Blog and letting us talk about the Houston Texans as we get ready for that game on Saturday. And hopefully we have a good game and we get a bunch of stuff answered this week. And then we start getting ready for the Buccaneers and the first home game for the Dolphins this year. So thanks, everybody, and everybody have a good night. Good night. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that 
for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.